0: i was always operating under a scarcity mindset you know there's not enough capital to do it there's not enough good deals there's not enough opportunities but as i've been doing this for 10 or 15 years i've realized that there's opportunities everywhere you just got to look a little bit harder for them and to be completely honest there's a lot more capital out in the world than you think about there's a lot of people that have money in savings accounts or uh, friends and families that have some money set aside that's not really earning a lot of um, return for them or interest in the savings account or a bond. And, um, you know, they're probably willing to loan you some money at some good rates or or, or um, to help you get started. So I think just stepping back and realizing that there are ways to clear those hurdles and roadblocks um, is the best best thing that I can can give somebody advice to give somebody that's starting out is just don't think of it as having um, a scarcity, but there's actually an abundance there and you just need to find a way to figure it out. Welcome
1: to the Placemaking podcast podcast, the show geared at helping real estate developers learn and understand important aspects of the development process while improving communities one at a time each week we'll discuss major facets of the real estate development process with industry professionals now here's your host matthew lowes hello and welcome to episode number 42 of the placemaking podcast i am happy to have you all here this is another insightful episode coming your way i'm excited to share this next conversation with all of you Ryan is the managing member of Gemini Capital Management, LLC. Ryan has been working in the property development and management industry since 2008. Ryan has worked on a wide range of real estate development projects, including build-to-suit for multiple Fortune 500 firms, missing middle housing developments, historic preservation, adaptive reuse, hospitality, and small-scale single and multi-family renovations to name just a few. He's been all over the board. Ryan completed his undergraduate work at Alma College with double majors in business administration and economics. In 2013, Ryan earned an MBA degree from Central Michigan University as well. As mentioned, Ryan is the managing member of Gemini Capital. Gemini Capital Management LLC was created in 2012 by Ryan and Kirk Smith. Gemini Capital Management is located in mid-Michigan and is a real estate investment firm which acquires, develops, manages, leases, and operates commercial, industrial, and residential properties in the area. In this episode, we are going to discuss the most important first steps when beginning the entitlement process on your next project. How to engage surrounding property owners when you begin the process and some of the biggest lessons learned from Ryan's experience as a real estate entrepreneur. There's loads of great information in this episode and I greatly appreciate Ryan for taking the time out of his very busy schedule to discuss this topic of real estate development entitlement hurdles with me and the rest of you today. Now, as always, if you have enjoyed the show, I'd ask that you please subscribe to the show and share with your friends in the industry I promise there'll be more exciting conversations on the shows to come. So without further ado, let's start the show.
0: Hey, welcome to the show, Ryan. Hey, thanks, Matt, for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, speak with you today. And I wanted to thank you for all the content and the work that you put out for this podcast.
1: <laughs> thanks,
0: Ryan. I'm Glad to have you on here. I think
1: I think you bring some unique perspectives, and I think it'll be a fun show.
0: Sure, sounds great.
1: All right. So, what what was your first? Uh, is this is Gemini the first real estate job that you had, or or were there some subsequent to that?
0: Um. Actually, I had um a a couple investments before we started the Gemini entity. Um, Back in 08 and 09, when the real estate market and um, financial crisis hit, uh, a group, uh, myself, my father, and a couple other people had an opportunity to buy a portfolio of industrial properties Mm. uh, from a distressed seller. Uh, His notes got called at the bank during all the turmoil. And so we were able to kind of buy him out and let him transition into retirement. And so that's how we first got started. That was about 10 or 12 industrial buildings all in one package that we purchased.
1: Wow. Industrial's a a good investment right now for sure. Yep. Um, So let's go back a little bit before that and you uh, can you talk about your your formal schooling and then maybe before that even what your interest in real estate was growing up? Sure
0: yeah so um, my formal schooling is I have uh, two bachelor's degrees from Alma College, which is a small private liberal arts school here in Michigan. It's about 10 minutes from where I grew up. And then I have a master's degree from Central Michigan University with a emphasis in, um, say, like lean manufacturing or 5S. Mm-hmm. So that's my formal uh, education. and then immediately after um, going to college, I moved to Little Rock, Arkansas, and um, worked for an insurance company there for about a year and a half before moving home, and then eventually transitioning into um, a couple roles with a family business. My father owns a couple of manufacturing companies, and so um, I started working for him a few years after college.
1: Okay. How'd you, how'd you get bit by the real estate bug? Was it that first well, actually, deal? actually...
0: Or- no, actually immediately after college, I um, some of the first jobs that I applied for were for property manager positions. Um, I just never ended up landing the job. So okay. uh, right out of college, I was interested in it. I didn't know anything about it, but I just had an interest in it. I'd read some books about it. I, I had a concept that it was a good way to um, invest and it was a good asset class. And so I was just trying to learn. And I thought being a property manager might be the best way to do go about that. But Unfortunately, I didn't ever land any of those jobs, so uh, I actually didn't get into real estate or property management until we did that um, that purchase of those industrial buildings uh, that I spoke about earlier. Okay, okay. And just
1: curious, I, I always like hearing what what uh, books people like to read. So, were, were there any in particular from your your initial? Due diligence and dive into real estate that you'd recommend.
0: Oh yeah, it's the it's the quintessential one, right? The rich dad, <laughs> poor dad. Of course. <laughs> so I probably read that when I was, um, I think my father or somebody turned me on to it when I was probably uh, seventeen or eighteen. I probably perused it and didn't really really read it until you know sometime in college uh, or after you know. And then from there, you know, I read a couple of the other Kiyosaki books and then. You know, things just start to snowball, right? So you just pick up this. If if you start getting passionate or interested in something, then you just start. You know, you you'll try to absorb as much of it as you can, even even if the books aren't that good. If you can just pick up one thing out of each one of them, then you know, you're you're doing pretty well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right. So uh, you went and um, after this acquisition of the industrial properties, what what uh, were the steps after that? Uh, what would you do next?
0: Well, after we purchased those, my real first job in, in property management was just managing that portfolio because um, we had one maintenance guy that came on board when we bought those. And so he was, him and I pretty much were in charge of handling the maintenance. And then after hours or on the weekends, I did all the accounting work, you know, the invoicing, the payables and all that. So that's how I got my hands in the middle of it is uh, I basically just worked the nights and weekends doing all the day-to-day stuff at the real estate um, entity there until the portfolio grew big enough to actually transition into a full-time job.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. So yep. you get to learn, learn, uh, take a deep dive into the numbers during that time. Yeah,
0: just got get it. thrown in the mix there. You know, after you buy buy you know ten or twelve properties at once, you 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 got to learn quickly.
1: Oh yeah, definitely, and and so. You you mentioned going full time. Is that when Gemini Capital kind of was born? Is when yeah,
0: that's that's how Gemini was born. Um, the largest utility company in the state of Michigan uh, actually a few years after we bought those uh, industrial buildings decided to put in a windmill farm in our county, and so they wanted to uh, have a new building built for them, or you know, ground up development for their new office and. Um, the maintenance of these new wind turbines. And so they hired me to uh, be the developer for them and be the liaison between them and the uh, contractor. And so they paid me a development fee to do that. And then I took that money, started Gemini Capital and started investing in single family homes, um, foreclosures at that time, because it was like 2010, 2011. Mm And so I just took that development fee and started reinvesting it in all these properties. And fixing them up and leasing them out or flipping them. And that's how Gemini Capital was started.
1: Gotcha. So what did that look like as far as, uh, were, I guess you had known somebody uh, there at the power company. Is is that how you got introduced?
0: They yes. um, The utility company approached our local economic development um, entity. Uh, it's basically a community-based entity that helps Facilitate economic development throughout the county. And those folks got a hold of me because um, we had developed some property in the industrial park where the utility company wanted to be. So oh, we were okay. already kind of building something there. And so it really worked out well that we could just continue um, construction projects there in the industrial park and help them out at, at the same time.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense now. Okay, yep. perfect. Yep. So you started out as a fee developer, and then you took that capital uh, and invested in, uh, it sounds like distressed, single family mostly. And then once you were able to build up a a bigger nest egg, uh, did you do a, a few more development projects or what does that look like now for you?
0: Yeah, we did a couple more. Um, we actually got hooked up with some guys that were um, a contractor that was doing ground up developments for Dollar General, okay. and so we did a couple of those, and we owned those for a few years, and then we sold them. So I did a couple, um, you know, ground up developments for Dollar General, and you know, I was still doing a couple single families here and there, and then that gentleman that we bought out when the industrial properties he actually had a friend that uh did the same thing and and that gentleman wanted to retire so we ended up buying out his portfolio a few years <laughs> after we bought the industrial uh portfolio and and then things really started to snowball from there
1: wow yep how big was that
0: one i think that was about five or six um um buildings it was a mix a couple industrial a couple retail and a couple medical so you know half a dozen okay but uh you know, at that time, if you only have 12 or 15 and you add six, you know, you almost, you you had a percent. So, um, you know, you, so, uh, you, know, you started to grow kind of quickly then.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, was there a moment when you kind of knew that real estate was your deal? Is it, was it with that initial purchase or when, uh, when you did your fee development initially, is there, uh, sometime when you knew that, really deep down that this was, real estate was what you were going to pursue?
0: Well, like I mentioned, I think I had an interest in it at a, you know, right out of college, but I didn't really understand what that really meant. And so after doing that, um, that first portfolio purchase and then running it for a few years and just watching the balance sheet and watching the equity grow, and then doing that fee um, that fee project for the utility company. I think the light bulb really went off where, uh, if you do this the right way and you position position yourself correctly and it can be a really powerful tool, not just for asset accumulation and wealth generation, but you can also help the community, you know, because by building those, you know, by doing that development in the industrial park, I think we created like 15 or 20 new jobs that our community never had before. Mm-hmm. And so I think the light bulb really went off that, hey, you know, this is good. This is a good way to invest your money. It's a good um, career to, to uh, pursue and you can help the community while doing it. And so it doesn't have to be all extractive. You can actually give back and still do it and still earn a return, which all those things coupled together were really attractive to me.
1: Yeah, that, that makes a whole lot of sense. You checked all the boxes, really. You know, it's, it's right. not only a, a great return, but also you're able to give back to the community. And when you can do that and feel fulfilled. And uh, it really, really goes a long way. So that's awesome.
0: Yeah, it goes a long way for us because um, we only invest here where we live and, and work. So mo- almost all of our investments are within a 30 or 40 minute radius of my hometown. So uh, we want to invest our dollars here and keep them here and, and give back to the community that you know we grew up in and that we work in. So that was a big one for us.
1: That's Awesome. Do you do you ever see yourself going outside of the community or do you would you like to stay predominantly in in that radius like you're talking about?
0: We would expand if we were doing, say, triple net type okay. investments where we don't have to do a lot of the management, but if we're gonna be doing the management um if we're going to be, you know, responsible for maintenance or things like that, we want to be within 30 or 40 minutes because we want to yeah. address issues immediately, take care of anything that pops up. And also uh, it's it becomes inefficient when you have your own management team and they have to spend a lot of time in the car, you know, going back and forth. So we found, you know, that niche is 30 to 45 minutes. We like to stay right there.
1: Right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yep. Now. The kind of meat, the, the topic that I wanted to focus on today was more of the entitlement hurdles that you can face in a development project, especially if you're, you know, you've got a few projects under your belt, but it, it's still, it, you know, you're doing a lot of this work yourself, and it, there's a lot that goes along with entitlements. And I noticed this 319 East Downey Street on your website, we've talked about it briefly before. Uh, it's a mixed mixed use site, um, and you know we can talk a little bit more on the details here in a little bit. But it's it appears to be surrounded mostly by single family, which uh, for most developers that can be kind of a headache, uh, even though it, it it looks like an infill site. Uh, it is yeah it's an uh, infill
0: site it's a full city block and it's right in the middle of town we're all surrounded by pretty much all residential single family houses
1: that's incredible so when you're just beginning that entitlement process and we can use this one as an example or you can use some of the other ones that you've done but uh, for development project but what what do you believe is the best first step what's the most essential first step when you're jumping into an entitlement process for for a project
0: well i think that if you're going to take on a project from the ground up you know a development project like this or any of them i think the most important first step is just to determine what you want to do with the property or what you want to do with the land and does that fit with what surrounds it because mm-hmm. if it doesn't and it's not you know, if they're not very similar, I mean, they don't have to be exact, but if you're trying to say, take uh, an industrial building and plop it in the middle of, uh, of a neighborhood, you know, that's going to be a pretty uh, hard uphill battle. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, obviously if you're going to do a project, you should kind of think about what you want to do and where that best fits in the community. And then If it doesn't fit where you want to, is it is it relatively feasible that um, it should you know be placed there? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So So I mean that seems pretty simple, but you know uh, it's not always that simple. Right, trying to figure it out.
1: (laughs) Right. So I guess when that when you first came up with, I guess what what came first? Did this property present itself, and, and you said you know i think uh i guess what what were your initial thoughts for highest and best use for this piece of property were you intending to do a mixed use all along or was it one that you, you might have seen more as a, a single family kind of extension of that um surrounding uh neighborhood area
0: right so just a little background this is a full city block um one street north of the main downtown area and it um it's basically surrounded on three sides by residential and then on one side it has some mixed use across the street Um, the property has been vacant for 10 to 12 years it was the previous location of the um the the local middle school Mm. and the school uh, passed a bond and a millage and built a new school. And so they demolished the old one. And then this piece of vacant land just sat in the community right downtown for 10 or 12 years. That's And so, yeah. And so I drove by it all the time, you know, and I just always thought, you know, what could be done there? What could be done there? And initially my project that I brought forth to the community and to the planning commission was uh, for lack of a better word, um, basically building four plexes, So four units kind of all tucked together, kind of bigger type uh, footprint buildings and mm-hmm. putting, I don't know, I think it was eight to 10 of them on the property. And okay. there was a significant pushback from the local neighborhood about that. So um, actually the city was on board with rezoning it and allowing it, but um, there was some pushback from the community at the public public meetings that we were having. So I actually withdrew that concept and that plan and went back to the drawing board to try to find a way to get the density that you need in order to make a project feasible from a financial standpoint, but also kind of um, meet the needs or issues that the community members were bringing forth, which to be honest with you, I think were kind of valid. I mean, um, trying to put a little bit higher density type buildings in the neighborhood probably wasn't the best fit. So um, we took a step backwards and reworked the plan. And now uh, what we have is a number of single family homes and then duplexes. And so the duplexes aren't any larger than say you would find a single family home up the street. You know Um, Mm -hmm. we tried to make them roughly the same footprint. We tried to make them, you know, we're going to build them. So the exteriors look very similar. So what I like to call it is now it's gentle density in the neighborhood. We still have the, you know, we have the density that we need to make it financially feasible, but it also looks and feels like the rest of the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the long winded story about that, that particular project. Um, We're hoping to break ground on it, you know, this summer. And if we do, you know, I've been working on this now for four or five years. So that kind of gives you an idea of how long it's taken me to get through the entitlement process just to get to the construction um, point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's funny when you look back at how much time is actually spent. uh, Most people don't, most people outside the uh, development community don't understand that there's time that goes into even getting to the point where they've actually seen the, (laughs) you know, seen a concept or something. Yes. Yes. Um I'm just curious did you uh did you have some city or some neighborhood meetings prior to your initial uh submittal to the city, or were there um i guess did this it it probably wasn't zoned correctly, it sounds like so um what did that process look like? Is that where you're having the issues was rezoning?
0: Yeah. So um, the property is zoned for single family, which is pretty typical of, you know, most of America, you know, there's pretty restrictive and that's why we have some housing and affordability issues is, you know, a lot of the ordinances don't allow for uh, more economical use of the land. So, um, but to be, you know, to get back to your question, yes, uh, I didn't approach the local neighborhood first. And so that's a, that was a learning experience for me. So the only, the first time that any of this came up is when we had a public hearing for a rezoning, basically to allow for the multifamily. Gotcha. And so I learned and, and I learned sort of the hard way, you know, it's better to be proactive than reactive. So now when I do developments, what I do is before I go to any public hearing and ask for a rezoning or a permit or a planning commission, uh, approval or anything, I have an informal meeting with the neighborhood and all I do is I ask that the municipality send out a letter to say, um, the, the, the property owners within three to 500 feet Mm -hmm. and we just send the letter out and say, Hey, we're going to meet at the library at 6 PM on Tuesday and, um, I show up there and I have my site plans and, you know, my preliminary um, floor plans so that the neighbors can have an idea of what this is going to look and feel like. And then Mm -hmm. I just let them ask questions. Um, You know, I let them tell me their opinions about it. And I actually listen, you know, and if, if somebody has a good idea, I sometimes go rework the plan before going to the public, you know, to the municipality to get the, the official permits. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: after that first, um, project, I've learned that that's the best way to go. Now you don't always make everybody happy and you can't, you can't make every demand feasible within a project, <laughs> but if you, you know, if you're flexible and, and you actually, you know, listen and take the time, uh, I think that most people are reasonable and will, you know, at least be a, acknowledge that you at least made an attempt at it and won't try to fight you so much on at things at a public hearing. Now, you know, some people are just there to cause trouble and that happens, but more more times than not, people are pretty good about it. And, and they acknowledge that, you know, these things are needed in the community and they want to help. They just want to make sure that it's not going to adversely affect them or their property.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of it, when they get that letter and they, they have no pretext, it's it's, uh, it's a lot of shock and up in arms and building fences. So you know when they come to the actual meeting, uh, you know they're up in arms and <laughs> it's hard to. If you even get one commissioner to uh, start to sway a little bit, you're you're not in a good place. So um, I think that's that's a great point. Is you know and, and I'm it's definitely something that if you learn the hard way, it's, it's not fun, but, uh, it's a good, it's a good learning experience. What did your next project look like after this one? I'm just curious.
0: So, um, I'm actually taking the same, very same concept and pretty much the same floor plans. And just, um, we just purchased two weeks ago, um, a seven acre site in a town, probably 30 minutes away. Okay. And we're going to do the same exact type thing, you know, um, single-family and duplexes right in the middle of a neighborhood, a uh, piece of land that hasn't been activated for 30, 40, 50 years. Um, it doesn't have infrastructure to it. You know, it's blighted. And so we're hoping to do the same thing. And and like I said, I'm before I go to the municipality and ask for anything, I'm going to have a meeting with the neighborhood and talk to them and explain to them. And And the good thing is by the time that one rolls around, the one that we're working on right now that's supposed to start construction, you know, um, I'll actually have real pictures. And so some of the buildings will be built and I can take them there and say, hey, look, this is what we're actually going to build. So they can actually have a an idea because, you know, looking at floor plans and site plans, you know, you get an idea, but not everybody, you know, visual can visualize it. So if we have actual pictures of actual buildings. It kind of helps, I think.
1: Yeah, definitely definitely people are very visual but uh if you if you throw a lot of sketches and plans and numbers in front of them yeah it makes it a little harder yep so how (laughs) just curious how many people showed up to this uh zoning meeting so
0: the initial one one when we got a lot of feedback the room was full as probably i don't know 50 or 60 and then late and not and, and and to be honest with you um it's only four or five people that, you know, voice the major concern, and then there's four or five people that voice the, you know, um, support for it. So it's not all one way, but um, it definitely was a learning experience. So, you know, <laughs> now we just try to be proactive and work with the community in advance, and um, we build some things into the developments that kind of help uh, ease some of the concerns, you know, we make some of the units, handicap accessible even though it's not a requirement in the zoning. Uh, we often add community areas where you know, we'll fence in an area for the dogs so they can have a dog run or we'll build a community garden um, so that the neighborhood people or the people living there can uh, grow vegetables and fruit in the summertime and they can all have access to it or um, we've let a nonprofit do a community garden on our land before. So um, I think just explaining that we're want to be a part of the community and that we're not just here to build housing and and extract and take away from the community, but rather, you know, we're trying to help. I think that really goes a long way.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. If you're in the community, you're, and I, I think this will go along with your, your future work as well. I mean, as long as they see, Hey, this guy actually cares. Uh, he's willing to, and, I, and this will go a long way with the commissioners and, and the, the city council and such when you, when you actually, you know, are providing what you say you will and it's a good product and he, you, know, you've, you've listened to the public, you know, that goes a long way over time. And it's, it's something that you can't just build that trust right away. But, uh, I, I, like you said, everybody takes learning experiences and I think this was a great one to share. Yeah, um, you know, everybody that comes to a commission meeting, it seems like has the same three or four concerns. <laughs> uh, and I, I've found that if you can try to address those three or four main concerns, you know, before you get to the meeting, cause you know, you're going to get them, uh, then it goes a long way as well to be prepared. So like having everybody co- is concerned about traffic, you know, when you rezone, you have density, you know, it's traffic, uh, parking on streets, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, you get increased drainage. Where's the stormwater going to go? Is it going <laughs> to, is it going to flood the street? Right. Um, you know, public safety is always big you know i th- i think if you are prepared to have answers to a lot of these that are you know common i think that goes a long way as well uh from what i've seen
0: um yep. I- it's usually density parking traffic and then a, you know one of the big ones around here is you know is this going to be low income housing or tax credit type housing you know uh and a lot of people say you know they're all for that but then they're only for it when it's not not in their not backyard, their backyard it's yeah. on the other side of town right which we don't do any of that development right now so it's not really a concern for us but um I can see why why it's there and why you know why it's beneficial to the community and it has its place um we just don't happen to do it but I just always think it's funny that that's usually the first question is you know well is this going to be low income housing and you know yada 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 stuff like that and I just think it's funny that, you know, they're for it until it's until somebody wants to do it by them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. NIMBYism is, is a tough yeah. one. And uh, I don't it's going to be a while before we, I don't know, get past that. And yeah. I don't know that we really will. until.
0: Um, you know, and the other funny thing is, is uh, a lot of these projects that we do are are in opportunity zones, which is, you know, just a federal designation that areas are in need of redevelopment and so um the federal government's already designated that these areas are low income and need redevelopment so it's not like uh, somebody's trying to do something outside of the norm or people are actually trying to do what's uh, been asked by the government to go in and do you know
1: right right (laughs) no i mean i think what you guys are doing is great i mean i like i like the idea of subtle density because at the same time we can't completely change what happened, right. You know, from, uh, you know, building all the roads and, and extending subdivisions way out in the middle of nowhere. We can't, I mean, it's, it's gotta be subtle. And I think what you guys are doing as far as trying to just allow a little density is enough to, you know, start making a difference. So, think that's great yeah
0: we're not we're trying to do maybe 10 to 14 units per acre you know so it's not huge density and if you look at a normal city block that's sort of what you would get pretty close if you know the houses are pretty compact anyways in the neighborhood so Mm -hmm. it's just um, making I think the most important thing is just making the look and feel of it you know you don't want to build high-rises and big apartment complexes in the middle of an infill project it just it's not going to work but you can go and reuse a piece of property and reuse the existing uh, municipality services, you know, the public services that are there. I think that's way better than exp- uh, expanding out to the outskirts of town, you know, and just let's get the tax dollars in the community, keep them there and reuse the infrastructure that's there. So,
1: yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Well, uh, I think you had already mentioned this, but what <laughs> what is the biggest lessons you learned Walking through the entitlement process, and it sounds like just being proactive to uh, have those discussions early with surrounding property owners is is really the biggest lesson. But if you yeah. have any other um, thoughts after you you know went through this, no, process. I think
0: I think you know, like I said, the most important thing is just communication and transparency. And so if you can get ahead of the, some of these issues in advance. I think that helps, you know, the other biggest lesson is I've learned is, um, is just communication. You know, there's a lot of misinformation out there or people just jump to conclusions when they get the letter in the mail. And so if you can just make it real simple for them to understand what you're trying to do and why you're trying to do it, uh, I think it goes a long way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, you're you're fairly young. <laughs> what do yeah, you? thirty six. Yeah. yeah. What do you see as a common roadblock for other young people to get into real estate development? Uh, oftentimes, I hear capital, uh, yeah. access to capital. Um, but what are your thoughts on on that as far
0: as roadblocks? I think that that is you know probably the most common roadblock but I actually had the same mentality when I first started out and I think it's it's an inaccurate way of looking at at real estate development and the world in general is I was always operating under a scarcity mindset you know there's not enough capital to do it there's not enough good deals there's not enough opportunities but as I've been doing this for 10 or 15 years I've realized that there's opportunities everywhere you just got to look a little bit harder for them and to be Completely honest, there's a lot more capital out in the world than you think about. There's a lot of people that have money in savings accounts, or uh, friends and families that have some money set aside that's not really earning a lot of um, return for them or interest in the savings account or a bond, and um, you know they're probably willing to loan you some money at some good rates or 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 um, to help you get started. So I think just stepping back and realizing that there are ways to clear those hurdles and roadblocks, um, is the best, best thing that I can, can give somebody advice to give somebody that's starting out. is just don't think of it as having, um, a scarcity, but there's actually an abundance there and you just need to find a way to figure it out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I think it's a, a lot of it's self-imposed. I mean, um, You know, like you said, there are there are deals out there and there are there is capital. There is uh, there is plenty of opportunity. There's you just need to be looking for it. And, uh, you know, there's never the perfect time. Right. People always want to time the market and, uh, you know be be there right when it needs to right when you can get the most return or or something like that, and they'll use the uh, the market or or capital as a as a reason not to jump in but um how I guess how did you get over that in your first maybe your fee developer uh your first project there to to overcome that um mindset that you know you can do this um you know what i'm sure you had thoughts about you know maybe (laughs) maybe i'm not the right person for this but what i guess how did you overcome those thoughts and kind of just
0: for sure i mean when i did that utility fee development project i hadn't done a ground up development before you know so Mm -hmm. and i was still in grad school at the time so um I think I just stepped in the batter's box and said, I'm going to take (laughs) as many of these pitches as I can. And I'm just going to keep swinging until this thing gets done. And, you know, things go wrong and there's bumps in the road, but you know, worst case, what's going to happen. I mean, you're going to get it done somehow, some way, you know, the contractor's going to make sure that they do what they are supposed to do. So they get paid and um, you know, you just gotta, you just gotta take your lumps and just, keep grinding at it. You know, I think you just got to, like I said, step in the batter's box, take a few swings at it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. So uh, speaking of lumps, what was a, what was a big lump that you've taken that you've learned from? Was it that, that project and the entitlement process or were there other, um, were there other projects that you took on where you, you got a big lump and, and you learn from it and uh, maybe, oh, yeah. know There's been a bunch.
0: you know, I've bought, uh, you know, I've gone to, in Michigan, you can go to the County courthouse um, and buy properties at foreclosure because they haven't paid the property taxes. You know, and I went and bought a few single family homes that I thought were, you know, good deals just because they were cheap without even really going and inspecting the property. And then when you go to rehab it, you know, you're, you're way over your budget you know, things like that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this one, this development that we were just talking about with the, the, the single family and the duplexes, you know, I've recently found out that I'm not going to get some of the property tax abatements that I thought I was. So, you know, everything you can solve, any problem that comes up, you just have to figure it out. You know, it, mm-hmm. it might not be, the returns might not be what you think they were, or you might not hit a home run or whatever, but you can figure it out. Everything can be solved. You just got to take some time and figure it out, and just keep going. Just keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. That's yep. great. Yeah, just just keep moving those feet, right? Yeah, it's not it's not going to go the way you planned it always. So just right. you just have to know that going in, and if you if that's your expectation, then I don't think you'll be disappointed when something goes a little sideways.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Well. Looking forward, what do you? What would I, if I was to go look you up on Wikipedia in like 200 years? Say Wikipedia is still around, right. and I looked you up in Gemini, Gemini Capital. Uh, what what would I read? What would you want that legacy to be uh, for those looking back?
0: Well, I think, you know, like I mentioned before, everything we try to do is here in our local community. And so I think that that to me would be the best legacy that I could have is Is for somebody to look back and say, you know, that guy and that company, they did it the right way. They did it um, with the community's involvement. They gave people an opportunity to live in nice, new, affordable homes. They you know, renovated and restored our downtown areas and offered mom and pop businesses a place to, to operate. And they gave back to the community. They, they donated their time and their money to organizations and the local schools and, and all of that. And on top of that, um, it's important to me to provide opportunities for my employees that they actually enjoy what they do and they like to go to work every day and that they can grow and prosper with their families along with our business. So, you know, if looking back, if, if all, all they ever said was, you know, he was community focused and he gave uh, a, a good opportunity to the people that he worked with. And that would be more than enough for me.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you for that. I, I really appreciated all your time going through this and talking about I know it's not easy to talk about past <laughs> past issues, past hiccups, past lumps. So I appreciate your candid discussion on this. Uh, and also, you know, diving into entitlement hurdles. That was a big piece of it. And I really appreciated your time on that. I wanted to give you a little time to, to give the listeners maybe an idea of where they can find out more about you and Jim and I uh going forward if they they're interested in what you're doing and want to learn more so sure
0: yeah so our website address is uh geminicapitalmgt.com and uh same thing on facebook so if you just search us for there you'll find us um if you want to follow along you just uh, follow us on facebook we put all of our information out there about our projects and our developments and our historic rehabs and everything that we're doing everything goes on there and So uh, that's the the best place to probably uh, keep tabs on us. Awesome.
1: And I'll provide, uh, provide some links on the show as well. So I I really appreciate all your time, Ryan. I want to thank you again for, for taking some time.
0: Yeah, Matt. And I appreciate you. And like I said, at the beginning of this, uh, thanks for putting out this, um, this podcast. I know it takes a lot of effort and resources on your end. And so, Um, it's appreciated. And I'm sure there's a bunch of people out there listening that uh, would agree with that, that they appreciate it as well. So thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. Talk to you later. All right. Thanks.